This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Let's start with Parsh B'Shalach. We're going to talk about Miriam and Avia and talk about what happened with her. It says, Vatikach Miriam and Aviachos, Aaron is a tof biyado. Miriam and Avia, the sister of Aaron, took the drums in her hands, Vatitzenikol and Nashem Bacharev, the tupim mechols, and all the women went after her with their drums and with their dances. Vatala Miriam, Miriam said to them, Shiul Hashem Kigoga, Asus Baruch Vohu Part of the song of Az Yashir, she's saying Shiul Hashem Kigoga. So the whole sequence of Psukim is really weird. Moshe Rabbeinu sings together with the with the Bnei Yisrael, and my assumption is that the women were involved with that. I don't understand why the women wouldn't have been involved. I would assume everyone was there. And then Miriam got up, went somewhere, because it says Vatayt Sena, they went out with these musical instruments that they apparently brought with them out of Egypt, and they found room for them on their wagons out of Egypt itself. And they sang their own song, which seems to be different from what Moshe Rabbeinu sang. So the question is, why is Miriam doing this? Why is she described as the sister of Aaron, when she clearly is the sister of Aaron and the sister of Moshe Rabbeinu? And what is all this teaching us? I Meaning, what's the lesson behind all of this that we're trying to know? So first... Miriam is known as a prophetess. Where did she prophesy? Where do we see in the Torah that she prophesies? And the truth is, there is no place in the Torah technically where she prophesies. There is no place where we see her as an actual prophetess. Now we do know from Rashi, who quotes the Gemara in Sota, Yud Beis and it's also Megillah Yud that when she was only the sister of our own, Meaning, before Moshe Rabbeinu was born, she said, my mother will give birth to a child that will save the Jews. Right? She said that to her father, Amram. And Amram, therefore, got married or remarried to Yocheved, knowing that this child that they were going to have was going to save the Jews based on the prophecy of Miriam. That is not in the Torah. It's not written in the Torah itself. It's just based on that Gemara in Sota and Megillah. And Rashi brings it down over here. That's how we know about it over here. That's how we know. Rav Schwab says that she prophesied to them while they were in Egypt. She told them they would soon be saved with huge miracles and great wonders, and they would take musical instruments from with them while they left. Now again, not straight out in the psukim, but she told them as they were leaving, don't worry, there's going to be awesome miracles happening. That was a second prophecy that she would have had. The shach says she told them they had not finished their quota of work. They were supposed to be there for 400 years. Instead, they were there for only 210 years, and they only worked for 86 years. So she told them that the work was going to get more difficult toward the end, which she was right about. It got very difficult toward the end. But then afterward, they would leave early, and she was so happy that she was proven right that she got up and she sang about it. So we have three different prophecies. One about Moshe Rabbeinu, one about B'nai Yisrael leaving early, and one about how they were going to be saved with huge miracles and wonders. Now the Alshuk says, Miriam had been waiting for 81 years to see if her prophecy would come true. Her original prophecy about Moshe Rabbeinu. For 81 years, yes, her father and her mother had a child. Yes, that mother was, that, that child was Moshe. But she hadn't seen Moshe become saved or save the people up until this point. It was 81 years in the making for a Nebuah to come true. And when the Nebuah finally came true, she sang and danced and played musical instruments. Only when they crossed the sea, even leaving Egypt was not enough. Only when they crossed the sea did she realize that she was a prophetess, that she was an actual Nebuah. Because until that point, she wasn't right yet. So she was a Nebuah up until a point. The Kliakr says she's called a Nebuah because like all the other women, she got her first prophecy at that moment in order to sing the song. 
song. All the other women got became Nevios with her. So she was not a Nevia beforehand. She's a Nevia now because she saw God. Even the Shifcha Yam saw the greatness of God on the on Kriyas Yamsuf. And therefore they all said, Zekeli Vavil, this is my God and I will glorify him. So Miriam right now, she picked up Yehuzah Glishman along with everybody else to sing the song because she became a prophetess at this moment. That's the Kliyakr. The Rashbam and the Chizkuni say something a little bit strange. A Navi is not just a prophet. A Nevi'ah is not just a prophetess. A Nevi'ah and a Navi is someone who speaks out the praises of God. If someone tells you greatness, great things that God has done, that guy can be described as a Navi. That woman can be described as a Nevi'ah. Miriam never prophesied, according to the Rashbam and the Chizkuni. Miriam, I, I don't know how they go against the Gemara, but the Rashbam and the Chizkuni are pshat-based. What she did was she praised God and she gave Musr to other people. She was known as Nevi'ah because of how great she was and what she did, but not necessarily because she was prophesying to anyone. That's why she's called an Nevi'ah. Now, why Achos Aaron? So we already gave one answer because she prophesied while she was still the sister of Aaron. But Rashi said that up above. The Rabbeinu Bechaya points out, this is the first time that a woman is called an Nevi'ah. And the truth is, throughout the entire Torah, not Tanakh, but the first time a woman is called a Nevi'ah. Now, what's the obvious question that everybody's going to ask me? Well, this is the first Nevi'ah. No, it's not. We had Devorah's afterward, but Sarah. Sarimenu. What about Sarimenu? Sarimenu clearly was a Nevi'ah, and it went through. So the answer is, the Torah never says that she prophesied. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Shema Bekola, listen to her voice, she says to, he says to Avram. Rashi mentions the Nevu'ah that Sarimenu has. There are Gemaras about Sarimenu, but there is no Pasuk that calls her a Nevi'ah. We have never seen that a woman can even become a Nevi'ah until Miriam is called Miriam HaNevi'ah. She is the first one like this. So the Rabbeinu Bakai points it out, and the answer why, which is something that I would assume in the times of the Rabbeinu Bechaya was not very well accepted, is that woman can be learned from. I know that's something that should be a shocker to everyone. You can learn from woman. That's crazy talk. That's absolute crazy talk. But the Rabbeinu Bechaya points out that we learn some of the greatest secrets of the Torah from woman in the Torah. For example, he says the following. We know the concept of Olam Haba. That Olam Haba even exists, which is not written about anywhere in Tanakh. There is no straight out Pasuk that says there is Olam Haba. There is a world to come after a person dies. We learn it from Avigail. Avigail used the words Tzror HaChayim. You're tied to life in the next world. She was referring to Olam Abba. We learn it from her, Abigail, the future wife of David Melech, while she was talking to David, convincing him not to kill her husband, Navos. Navos, uh, the terrible person. Tchias HaMesim and how did Davin are from Chana. Chana teaches us Hashem Memis Umechaya, Hashem Morish Ovayoal. Hashem brings up. We learn Tchias HaMesim from Chana. We learn how to Davin from Chana. Yes, we learn other things from Daniel as well. There are some lessons from Brachos that we learn from. But Chana teaches us that. And Gilgulim can be derived from the words of the Isha Takois who spoke to David Amelech. These are the secrets of the Torah. Olam Haba, Tchiyas Amesim, Gilgulim. The very secrets of the Torah are all taught to us by women. Says the Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar on purpose. Women are about Tznias. Women are not about publicizing who they are and what they're all about. So by definition, the things that they teach us are things that are Tsanua. 
things that we don't talk about outwardly, things that are hidden in the text on purpose that's so. It's an amazing lesson. And we get the same thing from Miriam Aviyah. She's the first one because she got out and did something publicly while Sarah Imenu, Sarah Imenu was in Aviyah. No one would ever know. She stayed inside the tent. She remained behind the scenes and she was a tremendous Nevi'ah, but the Pasuk doesn't need to say that about her. The women who were there found their greatness by not speaking out or stepping out. What's going on, Jake? Um, I don't have a... Maybe, maybe I can't think of a better example. Yeah. Abraham jumps in the fire. You have to be using a lesson of him jumping in there. 100%. Yeah, the Kibshana Aish would need something like that. Yeah. So you jump in there for a purpose, but you, know, you, know, you can't say a guy's going to jump in there just to die. There has to be some greater reason. Okay, so yes, yeah, so. So, so you, you would assume it could be learned that from there as well. That what? That, that there's another life. Oh, a concept of Olam Haba can be learned. I hear what you're saying. There are definitely hints. For example, Hevel dying after his Corbin is accepted clearly shows there's got to be a world to come. What does that mean his Corbin was accepted if he dies right afterward? We have the concept of um, asifas, um, what's the wording? Vayasef al-amav, that they're gathered to their nation. Before they're even buried, they're gathered to their nation. What does gathering to the nation mean? You're right. I'm saying that straight, the idea of straight out that there is an Olava is learned from the words Surachayim. It's what we say. You guys have seen Tuf Nun Sadi Beis Hay. You've seen that in like a kever? It's based on these words. But yeah, what are you going to say? I, I, I don't know. Yeah, but you know, that's not a, so much a variety, though. We don't even understand what happened with Chanukh. But the concept is right there. The concept is that we learn something from women. I know you don't want to learn anything from women, Jake. I get that. I understand. You feel that they're worthless and that they have nothing. That I totally understand you. It's going to help you from Shaduchim. But this is the, the concept, idea that Rabbi Nebuchadnezzar is getting out is that there are tremendous lessons. The lessons that we learn from them are lessons that are beyond anything else. Rashi says another pshat, that the reason why she's known as the sister of Aaron is because he was willing to give up his life for Miriam. When did that happen? The assumption is the only time that we see this happen is when she got saras. And Aaron begged Moshe to daven for her and to get rid of that saras as well. So therefore, she's known as the sister of Aaron because Aaron was willing to die for her. It's weird because obviously this is before that ever happened. That happened in Parsh Baloscha. We're still in Bishawach. It's weird that she davened for that. He said that then. And Ayel Sashaka, Rav Steinman says that we don't see that anywhere, that he was actually Moser Nefesh. He assumes that when he said the word be Adoni to Moshe, he meant give me the Tsaras so that Miriam is not punished. It seems like he was willing to take on the punishment of Tsaras from Miriam, and therefore he's willing to be Moser Nefesh for. I'm willing to take on that deathly punishment, that deathly illness from from her. The Rashpam says she was called the sister of Aaron, and it's simple because he's the Bechor. And you're always the sister of the Bechor. So I happen to be a Bechor in the family. So if someone would say that, I don't know, my brother Renan is the brother of Tzvi, that would make sense because all my brothers are subservient to me and they're subjugated to everything I want to do. So even though he's also the brother of Rafi, Chaim, Uri, etc., but they're not important because the Bechor is by far the most important person that could possibly exist. So everything is therefore Achos Aaron, even though it's technically Achos Aaron B'Moshe. Everybody got that? What's even cooler is that Aaron wasn't even the Bechor because Miriam was the Bechorah. Right? So he was just the older brother. So technically, it goes by the older brother, apparently, according to this, according to the Rashbam. The Torah Tamimah brings about seven proofs for this, which is a pretty cool thing, but that's the idea behind it. Rav Hirsch and Tamdada says, she was for the woman what Aaron was for the men. 
nobody equated to Moshe. There was nobody like a Moshe Rabbeinu, a person who was so all-encompassing and a Navi for all of Klal Yisrael. But what Aaron did for the men, going around and helping them, getting their way, that, that guy that was around there for everything they had, Oev Shalom, Rodev Shalom, looking for Chesed, etc., Miriam was that for the woman. Miriam was not the counterpart to Moshe. She was the Achos Aaron for the woman. That's the idea behind it, and that's why she's known as Achos Aaron. That's where hers from the Tam Vedas, where Sternbach, yeah. Probably dead, I would assume. We don't know that. We only know that she gave birth at the age of 137, uh, 120, uh, 137. We don't know anything more than that. I would assume she's dead, been long dead, right? It's 80 years later. My assumption is she's dead. I don't know. I can't tell you, but I would assume, yeah. The Kliyakar, the Torah to me, Mapanim Yafos, and the Nitziv all say the following. She was equal to Aaron in her level of Nevuah, but nobody could come close to Moshe. Similar to the last answer. The idea is that she's equal to Aaron. She's not equal to Moshe. No one is equal to Moshe. That's the idea behind it. The Ramban, the Tferes Yonason says, she was only a Nevuah once when she was the sister of Aaron, and she never prophesied after that. My only problem with that is that it seems she did get a tiny Nevuah in Parshas Baloscha. Anybody remember what happened in Parshas Baloscha? She, was, she spoke Lashon Hara about Moshe Rabbeinu, and then Hashem appeared to Aaron and Miriam. And she called out water, according to Rashi. It seems she did get another nevuah, but I don't know what that means. The Pharisee says that, though. The Rambam of the Torah says it's sort of like a feeling left out moment. Like, what do they call that? FOMO, right? Feeling of missing out, right? So that's what they see. See, I'm so hip, guys. So either way, so Aaron was left out. Moshe Rabbeinu sang the song with the men. Miriam sings the song with the woman. Where's Aaron? Aaron's like, oh, where am I? So Al-Kadosh Baruch says, don't worry, you're the sister. You're the sister of Aaron. Right? Miriam is the sister of Aaron. So even though he wasn't directly involved in the song, right? Nonetheless, it's an honor for him that he was involved, even though he wasn't involved. By the way, why wasn't Aaron mentioned in the singing of Oz Yashir? Why wasn't Aaron put anywhere around there? Unreal Torah Shlema. The Torah Shlema of Menachem Kasher brings down a medrash that says, Aaron's job was to protect Klau Yisrael. What was in the schus of Aaron? What came in the schus of Aaron? The Ananiya Kavod, right? Elizabeth, you got it. The Ananiya Kavod, the clouds of glory surrounded him. Aaron at all times had to concentrate on protecting Klau Yisrael. His job was to keep the Ananim around them, even though they may not have gotten the Ananim yet. The Ananim might not have been there as Machlokas if they got the Ananim yet. But nonetheless, since that's his job, he could not interrupt it by singing the song. He had to concentrate on bringing those Ananiya covered at all times in order for those Ananiya to be there. So yeah. I would assume that's also considered an extension of the protection of Klai Yisrael. He loves them so much and helping them in all their ways. That's an extension of that protection, so it still continues. You're right. So singing the song of praising God was not his position. That's what, the, that's what it seems to say from the Torah Shlema. It's an amazing answer. Think about that. There was Orvano Baha'i over here that goes into the planet, Jupiter, that Aaron represented Jupiter, and that represented the toph that Miriam took. I don't get it so much. When I get, again, I've got two years. I'm still 38. It's going to be a little bit until I get to 40. When I get there, we'll have the party, and I'll explain that to you. Until then, I've got nothing. Why did they have drums and other instruments when they left Mitzrayim? Why in the world would anybody think to bring that out? Was that anything that was hitting them as they were leaving? They were just like, oh, we got to bring the drums. Why were they thinking that way on their way out? So Rashi says these women were unbelievable tzedekos. Unbelievable tzedekos. They knew Hashem was going to do wonders for them. They knew something was going to happen. 
Maybe because, as we said before, our Miriam told them this is what's going to happen. But they knew that something was going to happen, so they brought out instruments to celebrate the occasion. They brought out something with them to say that they were going to be there. It's amazing. It could be, by the way, and also, they were always planning on going on that three-day Chag, right? That's the ruse that they said in the beginning. It could be that Moshe Rabbeinu never told them it was a ruse. So they thought they were going for a three-day Chag, so they brought out musical instruments to celebrate the holiday. What better way to celebrate the holiday than with musical instruments? So it could be they brought out the musical instruments along together with them. I would assume that, yes. Yeah, that's a good call. If you just destroyed Mitzrayim, do you really think it's going to be three days and not that? Would you know that? I don't know. You're right. I mean, that could be originally Moshe Rabbeinu told them, and that's that. It's a good question. That's a very, very good question. Sfas Emes and Likutim, he says simply, the Egyptians had battle instruments with them. They took musical instruments on their way in their wagons, expecting to defeat the Jews easily. And then they would sing on their way back and they would play the trumpets and play whatever it is. So that washed up onto the shore and they took those musical instruments and played them while they were there. So they did not bring musical instruments out. They took them from the Egyptians themselves who brought it with them over there. It makes sense also, by the way, that they would have borrowed, you know, along with the gold and silver. Probably, I would assume, a lot of people had gold and silver musical instruments. So along with the gold and silver they borrowed was musical instruments that they borrowed. They borrowed a golden flute or a silver trombone, whatever it was. And they took out all those instruments with them. They were part of the borrowed kalim that they took out of Mitzrayim. That would make a lot of sense also, all from the Sfas In Sotalama Beis, it says, Moshe sang the shir for the men and Miriam sang it for the woman. This means it wasn't just one line, shiru la Hashem ki ramavayam, but rather the whole song was sung by Moshe and then the whole song was sung by Miriam the woman. The men sung first, and then the woman sung second. The Rashi and Chizkuni mention this. They both say Miriam sang with all of the women the entire song all the way through. Why did she feel the need to sing now separate from the men? Why was that so necessary? The men sang. And I, again, I assumed in the beginning, I assumed the women sang with the men. I don't understand why they wouldn't have. Why was there a need for a separate song by the woman that they should be involved? So the Rabbin Ophraim says, they were silent when the men sang, because it says B'nai Yisrael, not B'nos Yisrael. So B'nai Yisrael, the men sang, and the women did not. I know it's a strange drusha, right? We use it in 12 different places in Shas, mostly with the Quran, where we say B'nai Aharon, below B'nos Aharon, but it's not a very easy drusha to learn. B'nai Yisrael, below B'nos Yisrael. You'd normally say B'nai Yisrael, referring to everybody. Why would that be a drush? But nonetheless, the Rabbi Ophraim says it, and Miriam realized that Hashem wanted them to sing on their own. How'd she realize that? A baskol came out, and she heard the baskol, and it said, Eishes chayo miyimtza, the rachok mipninim mikra. Now look at this, ready? If you look at mi yimtza, rachok mipninim, mi yimtza, rachok mipninim, is mem yud reish mem, is Miriam. When she heard the baskol, she realized Hashem was saying, Miriam, start the song. That's what she understood from it. Says the Rabbeinu Ephraim, she immediately got up and said, I'm ready to do it. Now, I, I think it's v'rachok mipnini mikra, right? Isn't it like that? It's v'rachok. I don't know why. It's a pusik and mishle. It's not like it's a made-up word. So I don't know why the, that, that's not mentioned by the Rabbeinu Ephraim. But okay, he brings down, mi yimso rachok mipninim. In Taurus Moshe, the Chassam Sofer says, we totally underestimate the influence that Miriam had with the woman. There was, according to the Miyam Loez, not a single woman died throughout the 40 years of the Midbar. 
that although the Meraglim happened and Korach happened, and you had all the people that died from the Misoninim and the people that were Hisavu Taiva, the women weren't involved in any of it. They didn't do the Egel, they weren't involved in the spies, they weren't involved in Adas Korach. Now, I know the families of Dustin and Aviram died and the 250 men, so you'd assume there were some of the women there, but according to the Miyam Loez, not a single woman died because Miriam's influence was so great on the women. She was so good for every single woman there. Says the Taurus Moshe, she was learning with them, encouraging them, helping them grow, and they treated her with reverence. They would do everything she said. She was the Rebetzin Knievsky, Lahavdil, obviously, of our generation to them, and everyone treated her with everything. They couldn't do anything. Moshe Rabbeinu had detractors. Miriam had none. There was not a single woman who argued on the leadership positions that Miriam held, and this was her chance to shine, to show how she was showcasing and showing everybody else the women are special. And they were. These are the women that allowed us to leave Mitzrayim. It's through their schus that we left Mitzrayim. That's why Miriam felt we need to get up and show them that we're there as well. The Malvim explained they wanted a, they, that they wanted to drink, say their own song of salvation, their own song that will be for their own. Then Tziv says it was not the same song as Az Yashir. Miriam had Nevuah. She had Ruach HaKodesh and she composed her own song. The only part of her song that's similar to Moshe's was Shur Lashem Kigoga Asus Yom. The rest of the song was her words, her Ruach HaKodesh, whatever she wanted to say. Why doesn't the Torah mention it? Why don't we have those words? Because it wasn't on the level of Nevuah of Moshe Rabbeinu. And the Torah is only the Nevuah of Moshe. So there could have been, like, it would have been on the level of like another Navi. Like it could have made Yoshua, or it could have made Shoftim, or it could have made like Shmuel, Aleph, or Bez. It could have made one of those, but it could not make the Torah. The only thing that made the Torah was the only part of the song that Miriam said that was equal to Moshe, but she sang her own song that didn't get to make it in, that did not make it into the Torah itself. And simply put, because Miriam was not as great as Moshe in Nevuah, but she was as great in what she did over here. Rav Schwab says something crazy. Only the men sang after the Egyptians were killed and their bodies were spat into the shore. The woman sang first. The woman sang first. It was not the men singing and then after the men sang, then the woman got up and sung. No. The women were singing in the midst of the Yamsuf. While they were in the midst of the Yamsuf, they started singing, We know that our enemies will be killed. Sus Before it even happened, the Jews, B'nai Yisrael, the men, started singing when they knew that something happened. But the women sang before it even happened over there. They were saying it, when the susparo was coming in, they sang about what was going to be, which shows the greatness of the woman itself. There's a Malia Omer over here as well, and the Tosefes Bracha. Tosefes Bracha says great. He says so good. He says the women were too embarrassed to sing. They didn't want to sing because they're not used to that. They're not used to doing that, right? The men ruled back then, so women didn't want to get up and sing. So Miriam brought out musical instruments, and we all know it's a Gemara, Moid Cotton that says, and Daftes, Bas shisin kabas shis. A six-year-old woman is like a six-year-old woman. Lekal tabla rata. She runs to dance when there's music, music playing. You can ask any of your six-year-old mothers or grandmothers, whoever's there, at a wedding, they're into it. Everybody's into it. Women, I, there are men like that as well. But usually men complain about their 
aching back or whatever it is. But women love to dance. They love getting out there. And therefore, when Miriam brought out the musical instruments, they're like, oh, now we're out. And that's when they go, went and sang. It convinced them to go sing. What's up, Shamal? So Kolisha we're going to get to. Yes, 100%. There, well, yeah, we'll see. We'll see when it goes to that. I'm sorry? No, there wasn't mixed dancing. I mean, we don't see that anywhere. And we know nowadays that we know from the Mishnah Brewer, that famous Mishnah Brewer and Reish Lana Gimel or whatever, or Reish Mem Gimel, where obviously Yasser is everything that has to do with anything close to mixed dancing. But we'll talk. Don't worry. We're almost there. We're almost there. So what were the Macholos? If that's what he did, the tope was the drums or some whatever it is. What are the Macholos? What are these dances that they had over here? So literally, I would assume the Macholos means dances because that's how it comes from. Machol is almost like a circle. The Mechilta and Pirkei Revealer say that there's a type of musical instrument that's called a Macholos. I don't know what it is, but you do see it, Lamnatseach al Machalas Mizmor Ledavid. There's some type of musical instrument that's known as Machalas, whatever it is, that is something that's special. I don't know what it is. If it's like a drum or if it's like a, tu- a, tu- a, like a tuba, some other type of string instrument, I have absolutely no idea. But it does say it was like that. The Rabbin Abachaya says there were women with good intentions, there were women with bad intentions. The good intentioned woman brought out a toth. The bad intentioned woman brought out Macholos. Mecholos are instruments that are used to increase taiva. Doesn't explain how, but mecholos are used to increase taiva. Now, on the other hand, the word mecholos, says Rabbeinu Bachaya, comes from the word machalas, which is mechila. Now, he says like this, anyone who uses this correctly would be able to be forgiven for their sins. By the Egel, when he saw them dancing and playing music with this instrument, Moshe Rabbeinu was convinced that they would be able to be forgiven because he saw the machalas, which stands for machila. If he would have seen any other instrument first, he would have said, there's nothing, there's no way I can save the Jews. But when he saw, and Hashem let him see, the machalas, the mecholos, that were out there by the eagle Azov, he said, oh, now I know they're going to be able to be mochel. Now I know there's forgiveness for the Jews themselves. So to this woman, even if the woman had bad intentions, mecholos are there to tell you, don't worry, you can be forgiven for it. Now what did these women do that possibly needs to be forgiven? The shach says, Miriam had done genevas das twice. And according to one parish, this is the reason why Hur died. Who was Hur? Hur was the son of Miriam and Kalev. Miriam married Kalev. It was a, quite an interesting marriage. Kalev was 40 years old, maybe even 38, when they left Mitzrayim. Miriam was 86. Can you imagine a 38-year-old marrying an 86-year-old? It's good times. I'm, what? I'm not marrying an 86-year-old, right? And I wouldn't have done so two years ago. Like, no offense to the 86-year-olds out there. I'm just... It's weird, right? But that did happen. Kalev married Miriam. Now, Kalev and Miriam had a child, Hur. Hur died. Hur died. According to some of the Perushim there, one of the reasons why is because Miriam did Genevas Das twice. When did she do Genevas Das twice? When she was Pua, she told Paro, Ki that the woman, the Jewish woman, were able to give birth on their own. It wasn't correct. They were not able to give birth on their own. That was Geneva's das on the part of Miriam on Paro. And number two, when Bisya, when she picked out the baby from the Yam, when she picked out Moshe, he said, she said to her, let me go get you a midwife from the Jews. And she got her mother, the mother of the child. That's also a bit of Geneva's das. Both of those could have been something that she was forgiven for through her song. But according to those who said that Hur died because of it, obviously she wasn't fully forgiven. The Kliakr says, we learn from here, that anyone who sings a song after a great miracle happens for them, they are forgiven for all of their sins. The Chsam Sofer, the Beni Shchai, were well known for making songs. 
well known for making, composing their own songs. If somebody has a musical inclination, somebody is able to do these things. So Prime, I'm looking at you here, right? But if somebody has that musical inclination, allowing yourself to sing a song after a great thing happened to you will forgive you for everything that happened before. And in fact, the Mishnah Bura brings down Simen Nun Aleph Sifkat and Yud Zayin. Anyone who reads Uz Yashir in the morning, that does mean you have to say Pesukit Zimra. I'm just forewarning you. But if you say Uz Yashir in the morning and you sing it, it's as if you cross the Yamsuf yourself and you do it with Simcha, you're forgiven for anything you have done over the previous day. Is that amazing? Amazing. All you have to do is sing Uz Yashir Bisimcha. Feel like you're crossing the Yam right at that moment. That's what happens. And he quotes a Zohar. That that's true. The Mishra brings it down. Again, it's in Simen Nun Aleph Sivkat and Yud Zion. That would happen. Now, Batan Lahem Miriam. She spoke to them. Why is it a masculine form? Because she was speaking to the men and not to the women themselves. Rapersh says she was just responding to them. The Grizz says, A Dovership of Kedusha needs a minion. This song needed a minion. How could you have a minion if you just had the woman singing? How is that possible? Therefore, she answered after the men. She extended the tefillah of the men so it was a minion even for them itself. There's a Kliyak over here. They reached a high level of Nevuah. The women were like men at that time. So when she said, Batan Lahem Miriam, she was talking to the woman. But the women were on the level of men when it came to Nebuah. They were on a very high level. The Torah Shlema says that there was a whole machlokis going on between them and the Malachim. But Tanla and Miriam, that she spoke to the Malachim and she said, we're going first. Some say she told the Malachim to sing. Some say it's a big, I don't know, it's a whole to-do. There's a Rashmi Bells and a Shach over here. But now we get into the big thing. Why is this not Kolisha? The Gemara Brachos Chavdalet says there are three things that women are praised about that are praised about in Tanakh. Three things are, they're praised about their hair, they're praised about the leg, shok, which could be the thigh, or could also refer to the whole leg itself. And number three is their voice. That kol isha erva, shok isha erva, and sire isha erva. That's why women cover their hair once they get married. That's why women have to cover their legs at least to below the knee, right? And possibly even their entire leg. There's machlokas in the Rishonim about that. And kol isha erva is, again, machlokas Rishonim. There's a Russian Rabbeinu Yonah, but we... Paskin, it's from Reb Moshe and the Igris Moshe, that the singing of a woman is problematic. If a woman has a sing-song voice, or a voice that's very seductive, then it's possible a Kolbe Isha Erva is even if she's talking. But it's only like a seductive type of voice. Like, I don't know if anybody remembers the old Archie comics. You know, the melody. Every time that she spoke, there were those little, like, uh, they had the little musical things by them. Okay, it's Chatayani Maskirayom, but either way, regardless, that would be like a person, it would be usher to hear her talk, because that talking was like that itself. Now, there are, tr- we are not going into whether or not Kolvi Isha Erva, whether you're allowed to listen to a woman sing or not. I'm not getting into that. It's a tremendous machlokas between the Achronish Aposkim and what to do and what not to do. Do you have to walk out of a store when they're playing Jew- uh, non-Jewish music, a woman singing up above? They, they say that Revovadi Yosef used to listen to a certain Egyptian singer, an Egyptian woman singer, until he saw what she looked like and then he stopped. There are three chubas that you have to see, at least these three, the Sride Eish in Simon Bey's, uh, whatever it is, in his chubas, Bey's Ches, Revovadi Yosef and Chelek Aleph Simon Vav, and the Tzitz Eliezer and Chelek Bey's and Chelek Hay that go into all these types of things, and it takes a lot to go through. So I'm not going to be able to pass him for you. I'm not giving you a Psak Din and whether or not Kolisha is actually an erva and what we hold nowadays and not, right? I, I, I send you to your own post game and you let yourself do that yourself. But here, why is this not a raya that Kobe Isha is not an erva? That you're allowed to listen to the voice of a woman singing. So in Sotomem Ches, 
we say that when men are singing, if women answer, men are singing and women answer back, they're not singing, but they're just answering back, that's pretzis. If women are singing and men are answering back, meaning there are men there, well, that's like having fire and flax as fuel. There's a fire that's going to happen. Terrible things are going to happen. What's the napkamina? If you have a choice between this or that, you can either have the woman answering or the woman singing and the men are doing the other thing. It's better to have men singing and women answering than have women singing and men answering. That's the best thing. For that reason, says the Tzapnas Panach, the Ruggachover, and the Yalkuruveni, the word lahem meant, Vatan lahem Miriam, Miriam spoke to the men and told them, you guys sing again and we're going to answer back. The woman never sang they answered to the men singing a second time. The Vilna Gon says this as well. It was not an issue of Kolisha because they never sang the song. Vatan Lahem Miriam is that she told the men to sing and the woman played the instruments and they may have danced a bit, but they didn't actually sing and that takes away the issue of what Kol Isha Erva. There was no issue because simply put, they didn't sing. That's the idea behind it. Now the opposite, from the Alkaruveni, he says they did sing and the men answered. That was what the Alkaruveni says. We'll have to see another reason for that. Rebbe Ayala Sashachar, Rebbe Steinman, Rebbe Yosef Engel say the exact same thing. Who says they sung? It says they said it. Who says they sung a song? So maybe it wasn't singing. And speaking, a woman speaking is not an issue. So that's the first real answer that we have, that the woman didn't sing it, they said it, or they answered after the men. That was the idea behind it. The Radal in his parish to Pirkei Rebbe Eliezer and Membe's Selmach Zion says, they all went far away. They went further away so that the men wouldn't hear them. Isn't that an obvious answer? Right? They went farther away. So they, they sang, but the men didn't hear them because they were further away from the men itself. That's the Vatetseno. Paradisiosa says it could be that only Miriam sang and the woman surrounded her with instruments. So they couldn't hear Miriam because she was in the midst of a million women right? The million woman march right around there and the men couldn't hear her say it. Very similar to the answer of the Radal over there. Say the Lederach and the Rashmi Bell say, that's why they had drums. They played the drums loud so that it drowned out their voices and no one could hear them sing. As a side note, by the way, this answer would not work for Devorah Hanavia because Devorah Hanavia sung her song in Shoped in Parakei, right? And it doesn't say that there were drums or musical instruments there. That answer wouldn't work for that. That's at Seder Lederach and the Rashmi Bells. The Be'er Mayim Chaim says the most obvious answer, and I'm sure you all thought of it when immediately I said it. This song is different. Why is this song different? It's Al Pidibor. It's with Navua. There was Ruach HaKodesh involved. If you're doing something like that, that's a huge difference. A woman can't sing normally because that causes men to have your hurim, and obviously that, that, that's a bad thing for men to have. But regardless, if it's Nevuah or Ruach HaKodesh, there wouldn't have been those hurim. it wouldn't have had those illicit thoughts happening because it was being done in the right way. The Chida also says, based on the Gemara Nida Dafchaf, when there's a fear of something around, when there is a fear of the Shechina, Ema Sashchina, People are not afraid. In the base of Mikdash, the Sota woman, we all know, had her shirt torn off her. How could that be? How in the world can you do such a thing? You're going to be seeing the woman while she's there, and she's not going to be dressed. 
snap right there. There was an Amos Shechina in the Beis HaMikdash. You couldn't think that way in the Beis HaMikdash. There was something different when you saw the miracles of the Beis HaMikdash. Might be one of the reasons why in the second Beis HaMikdash, Sota seemed to not take place. Maybe there wasn't the same fear of the Shechina and you had to worry that there were going to be here who terrible thoughts in that area itself. But this is the basic idea, Vatanla Miriam, that the women were singing but it did not seem like women were singing. It felt like the men were singing as well. It felt like there was an issue. And therefore, this shira is not a proof to anything. No proof to any other woman singing at any other point. Soar Lateva brings down that in Morocco and other Sephardi communities, everybody knows this, right? At Simchas, what do women do? They yell loudly. And yell loudly. And I don't want to say obnoxiously. And they do all those, yeah, they do the loud sounds, like those things, right? Says it sore lateva and it brought, brought down, this is the minuk, to whistle and chirp like birds. They want to sing. They want to be part of the singing. And Chazal saw, there were Rabbanim there that saw that the women want to sing when there's dances and singing going on, because look what happened. So instead, they allowed them to start doing these types of things. They are the yellala guys the yellow girls, I guess you can say, and the chirping that they do is on purpose to make sure that they don't start singing. Brilliant, right? That's the minigan where it comes from. But in the future, when this could happen, so now you're allowed to because, okay, it's a song filled with Ruach HaKodesh and, and Alpi Dibor, but then it was something different. Torah Shlema says, when singing is done all together, by women together, and it's not individual women, it's possible that would be allowed. Now, he gives examples. The examples are in Shmuel Aleph, Perak Yerchas, Pasuk Vav, and Ezra, Perak Beis, Samachay, the Meshoros, as well as the Shoros in Kohelas, Perak Beis, Pasuk Ches, and there's a Zor over there. Now, I am not getting into the, again, the Tshuva, and whether or not women singing together is considered kolisha or not. But he's bringing down that we do sing this. In Sanhedrin, we see there were women in Rome. When Rabbi Avo came to Rome, the woman came out to sing for him, right? In Ksuvis Dav Yudzayin, in Sanhedrin Yudalit. Maybe that's a riot of the Sridiyesh, that women are able to sing together and a man is allowed to hear. Now again, the Sridiyesh was only meant for that time and that specific Shaila. It was never meant to be for every situation that now you're allowed to go listen to a bunch of women singing together and that's mutter. That, that, that's not a blanket hatter. It was never meant to be a blanket hatter. But the Torah Shalimah brings it down and maybe that's a reason over here when all the women were singing together that that would matter. But I'm not posking. This is not a psak. That's something the Torah Shalimah suggests and then at the end seems to reject. He doesn't like it. He definitely isn't approved because, again, you have so many other factors. Like we mentioned up above, it is Alpi Ruach HaKodesh. It is together with the drums. It could be that it was farther, farther away. So I, I don't have a good raya here, but this is the idea. There's a tshuva on the chasam sofer and choshen mishpat kuftzadi. You can check those up over there. There's obviously a lot going on beyond the surface. I'm not going to be able to go into everything over here, but just know that it's over here. The tof are 480, the amount of klipos that there are that they destroyed over here. Lily, everybody's heard of Lily before? Queen of the Demons, Lamed Yud, Lamed Yud Sof is the gematria of 480. They were trying to knock down, Miriam was trying to knock down the powers of Lily that were over there. Mecholos is the letters of Machalas Bas Yishmoel. Machalas is the name of another demonic woman that gets you. Lily is for sadness. Machalas is for happiness. That those are the two different types and the tof was for Lily and the Mecholos were for Machalas to knock down those two different types and all those out there. There's a Yalku Ruveni over here in number 148, a Rashmi Bel, a Chsam Sofer in Drushos, a Rabionis and Aipshitz that goes 
into how these instruments were referring to the sun and how it's a power over here. There's a lot referring to all this, the Magen Avram as well. Listen, there's so much when it comes to this. Our basic idea at the very end is going to be that when a person is singing and dancing, he always has to make sure that there's a stopping point. You don't go too far. The same way it is by almost everything. When you drink a little bit, that could be misameach you. And wine is there to make a person be extra misamchadik. But if a person drinks too much, it's already terrible. If a person has more than the amount that he can take, then all of a sudden it's horrible and terrible sins can come. It's the same thing when it comes to music. Music is awesome when used correctly. Music is unreal and can change a person if used correctly. But if overused or abused, then it can turn a person into a different person altogether. It can destroy a person when abused improperly. And that's the concept over here that we're learning. Kol Isha is an erva. Because if used improperly, it can become something terrible. But if you know how to use Kol Isha properly, if it's done al-piruach ha-kadosh through nevuah, like Devor and Avi or Miriam over here, that could be something proper. Something that could erase the spirits of all of Klai Yisrael. It should be Zohar to have that in the best possible way. Have a good job, everybody.